Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer, joined in studio by Jeff Ruppberg, Jeffrey Cohen, and Ryan Strauss will join us in a minute. Back with you on 610 AM Sports ESPN Radio. Guys, Masters last weekend, fun times, uh, fun time of year, end of Sixers and Flyers season. Jeff, I, you'll be watching the playoffs, I'm sure. How's yes. everything going? Uh, things are going well, and mercifully, the Sixers season is over and for the fans, there'll be a much-needed rest. So you can get a break from the trust of the process, right? Uh, yes, I, and I hope I don't have to hear it, except I've been hearing it from you guys about how the Phillies are uh, amassing, amassing um, assets. We, we will make sure that uh, that is Jeff's favorite word. We will make sure to mention that during the show. Jeffrey Cohen, how are you doing this week? Doing great. Doing great. Are you uh, excited? I know you watched the Masters last weekend. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Watched every minute. It was awesome. It was awesome. But before we do that, we actually have a guest in studio this week. We're joined by five-time NHL All-Star Flyers great Brian Prop. Uh, I told Brian I, I grew up listening to him on the radio call the games. So how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us in studio. Yeah, Jason, I'm doing very well. Thanks thanks for having me. Uh, we wanted to kind of go back to where it started for you and ask you were drafted in 79. What was it like to kind of fulfill that dream of being drafted into the NHL? Well, it was nice because the Flyers uh, tr- uh, tr- tried tro- chose me seven- 14th in the draft. And uh, I, I, w- I wanted to be a little higher, but uh, I was happy that I wasn't because they had a good team, good leaders like Bob Clark. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was exciting for me just, just to get there. You, you played in five All-Star games. You played in the Stanley Cup. You had a 15-year career. Did, could you ever imagine that that's what would happen in your path? Uh, well, I was hoping. Uh, I think in, the, in those days, like uh, 15 years was uh, the nav- n- n- uh, natural for me. And, uh, you know, but I worked on it uh, we, when we had the Pat uh, Crocher uh, help with uh, working out. Uh, like it helped me uh, prolong my career for 15 years. And other- otherwise, you know, we could have been finished over a little bit earlier. So, uh, you know, it, it, you know, the 80s were, was good to me. So, so, so even back then, conditioning was a big part of uh, hockey? Well, it was, uh, especially since Bob Clark wanted to, he was 30 and he needed to work out a little bit more to keep up. And so, like, that's where it started. Uh, now, you know, the guys uh, work out all the time, uh, you know, and, and you know, it, 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 it means money for them. So, like, they have to be careful of what they do, what they eat, drink, and uh, how they how they can uh, make things work. So, it was, uh, you know, but uh, Pat Crazy, Crazy was, it was uh, a key. So, so when you see somebody like Yammer Yager still playing into his 40s, what, what do you think of that? Well, I think that he doesn't have any children. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and he, and he still provokes. Uh, he, he does very well. I mean, uh, look at uh, his stats. I mean, uh, it's pretty amazing what he's done. But he, he worked hard at it. And he, uh, he's at practice early. And, and he, uh, he's a mentor for, a mentor, mentor for all these uh, young, young guys. It is pretty amazing to watch him still play with all of that skill. What was it like for fans that only get to watch on TV to, to play in an all-star game or to play in the Stanley Cup finals, you know, for that? Well, you, you, you play to win, and uh, when, when you get uh, noticed 
to be an, an all-star or to play in the finals. To, to play in the finals is, is very difficult. A lot of people never even played a, a playoff game. And so and, and to win a, even one, one uh, set, it's, probably, it's pretty tough. And, uh, you know, we had good teams in the 80s where uh, we were there every uh, every year and uh, as a result we 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 needed to win and we we beat a lot of uh teams that uh, that didn't expect us to be there i have a question regarding one of the playoff games where you got hit by chris chelios do you think that was purposeful uh, yeah, it was uh, because I know in, in, in that year it was 1989. Uh, uh, I was nine years into my career, and uh, I was a leading uh, playoff uh, performer. And uh, and Chelios hit at me from behind, um, and, and he he didn't wasn't uh, wasn't surprised about it, uh, you know. And, and he he got away with it. Did he ever apologize to you? Uh, not really. No, no. Uh, you know he you know and and I I did, I did talk to him, maybe. Uh, Last year, just to, just for a beef, a, a, a little 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 time, uh, you know. But uh, you know, but by then it was too late. Did you ever watch the hit back? Or oh yeah, it's uh, it's on uh, YouTube all, <laughs> yeah. all over the place. Yeah. My my kids watch it, you know. <laughs> and you know when I when when I talk to people, you know, I, I'll let them uh, watch it and uh, you know say, hey, listen, you know, let's be careful. You know, you always have your head out, but uh, you know you have to. Make sure that you're uh, always aware of what's going on. Uh, that I after I saw that you were you you couldn't play the rest of the year, and the Flyers didn't uh, win the the Stanley Cup that year. I was really angry because I thought that he should have been thrown out of the game for that, and at least uh, suspended a couple more games. Yeah, at that, at that time, uh, you know, it was a little bit you you. You you got away with a lot of a few things, but uh, uh, I did come back and play the series, and so I, I played the last game of the season uh, where I, I had a goal and assist, and but uh, you know we we lost uh, four to two, and that's when uh, Hextall stuck up for me later. It's a little bit of a different NHL these days compared to to those days. Well, it's uh, now you watch playoff hockey and it's exciting. It's just like it is uh, every year. Like when you when you're playing with the best players, uh, it, it really does make a difference of how you have to how you have to handle yourself. The talent is amazing in in some of these games that they're playing. Now, the helmet didn't really do as much to protect you. Did that surprise you? You were wearing the helmet. You maybe thought you would be safer, or what do you think about the safety? It was where I got hit. Uh, it was in the, stan- the stanchion. It was uh, like I got hit right on the left side of my head, and uh, you know, it got knocked out right away, and then I fell to the ice, and then uh, I think I had a lot of blood on my in my helmet, so uh, Pat Kraser uh, was there pretty quickly, so. Was there, was there, back then, was there any discussion at all? We know that, that concussion protocols now exist it's one of the things that we hear in football and now more in hockey that phrase obviously the concussion protocol didn't exist back then but was there any focus from the nhl or in in the minor leagues or junior leagues when you were growing up uh, of of concussion or head injuries 
Well, you get checked uh, checked out every year for your physical with with the doctors, and so there is a, a baseline uh, taste that the, the test that they, they use. But I think in the seventies and eighties, uh, you, you you probably were told just just play again and uh, you know just suck it up. Uh, so you know, but it, it's getting better. Uh, you know, I think that uh, there are a lot of concussions uh, that are still going on. Um, but, uh, you know, you just have to be aware of where you are and, and hope, hope for the best. What was it you, hear, you used to hear that, you know, when somebody would get a concussion or get knocked down, that it was ringing their, you know, oh, you just had your bell rung, get back in there. Was there, back then, was there any stigma that athletes had to get over in order to uh, deal with the fact that they did have concussions, that they shouldn't come right back in a game? Well, at, at that time, uh, they didn't really understand uh, like how uh, unsafe it was. So they, they, they you're, you're playing uh, for for the money that you're you're getting, and uh, you, you you work as a team, and uh, you, you might the, the the fighters might be a little bit more trained pr- prone to concussions. What was it like to play for Ed Snyder as an owner? Oh, it was the best. I mean, he was the best uh, only only in the in the lead, and he 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 loved the family with uh, and he enjoyed the, the Flyers team, uh, and we always had good leaders there. So that that's he uh, he he built it where the character made it made a difference. It's just like with Ron Hexall now, like he's building for the future. Uh, unfortunately, they they missed the playoffs this year, but. They have a strong uh, network of uh, young guys. I saw Hextall say today that um, the defense is going to be dependent on some of the young guys next year. They're not going to look to bring back some of those veterans that were on short-term contracts. So it looks like they're ready to start making that tr- transition to the next generation of players coming up. Yeah, it should be should be exciting for them. Uh, I know a couple of the guys had, had a, a time to play more this, this year in the minors, and so as a result, you, you, you learn from there. Uh, Brian, tell us what your role is as an ambassador for the Flyers. Well, my ambassador uh, show my, my Madison ship. You know, a Batterson. You know, just to say, uh, I have little uh, aphasia a little bit. So uh, the ambassadorship of me for me is was good because uh, I I love uh, going to every home game. I uh, meet the people before the before the game, and sign autographs, take pictures, and talk with them. And then, and then Bernie Pront and I visit uh, the suite, uh, suites in the first period. And so, uh, you know, that way we get a chance to see uh, all the people that we know, and uh, you know, we we uh, tell good stories, and uh, and Bernie gives them a, a nice hugs, and, and so like <laughs> the girls are like that. And uh, but you know, it, it's it's a it's a fun thing, and uh, and it's nice that the team still has both of us uh, working as that. What was it like to come to Philadelphia uh, for a guy from Saskatchewan and, and here you are in the city which embraced you and, and now you've made your family here in the area? Well, it was, uh, I was very quiet at the start. Like I, I didn't say hardly anything. Uh, that's why I had leaders like Bob Clark uh, you know, do the talking for me. Uh, and after about five years in the league, uh, when Clarky retired, uh, like I had more of a uh, leadership role. Uh, but uh, other than that, like you know, for the first two years, I didn't say anything, and the writers didn't even want to ask me any questions <laughs> because it was painful for them to hear me. And, and then, what made you take a bigger role? Well, as you mature, uh, you know, I was always a really good player. 
And uh, when we got, uh, you know, I was a rookie when we had the 35-game undefeated streak, and I went to the finals against the Islanders, and we lost in six games. But if we if we could have won the sixth game at that time, you know, it could have made a difference for my career. But uh, and then we lost uh, a couple of years in the, against the Rangers in the in the at the early years, and and so from that, I, I just learned that I needed to be a better player in the playoffs. And uh, as a result of uh, maturing, you, you understand that you have to do what's the best for you and your team to make sure that you, you, you go farther. As a show, we try and dive a little deeper into the, what you learn from sports. As somebody who had to grow into becoming that leader and more vocal, any lessons that you have for our audience that you think would be good? Uh, yeah, I think uh, you always take it on yourself to, to do better and uh, don't be shy. Uh, just be out, outgoing and, and be honest. Uh, I think that's the, the key. If, you, if you're not inter, uh, honest, yeah, people will know it, and uh, you, you, you make things up where you can be a big... That's I understand. Now, you, you've been involved in a lot of, of charity work you, you support uh, for traumatic brain injuries. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your involvement there and some of the efforts that are... are uh, that you're supporting. Uh, yeah, so uh, I just cr- created a, a guffaw t-shirt, uh, which a lot of people know the guffaw because if, if I was playing there, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> Howie Mandel uh, did the show in Atlantic Center, <coughs> Atlantic, Atlantic City, and uh, so I, I carried the, uh, copied the guffaw from Howie Mandel. And uh, so uh, we just created a Guffaw t-shirt, and I, I'm, I'm using uh, Broad Street Legends as a website. Uh, that way, what they can do is they can print out the t-shirts, and then uh, they can give me $5 a t-shirt back for traumatic brain injury people. And uh, the charity uh, from, was from Eric Toppy. He had a big uh, car crash uh, six years ago where he almost died. And as a result, you know, he wanted to give back, and it's taken him a little while just to kind of get his brain uh, in order. So, so how did you get involved? I know that he's Canadian, but it's a big country. How did you get involved with Howie Mandel? Well, he always did his show in Atlantic Center, and uh, and so like there, he always said rather than clack, ch- uh, clap, uh, cheer, and whistle. Just do a thing called the guffaw, which means we, you can't see it, but I'm raising my hand to the right and uh, like a selection, uh, salute. Uh-huh. And so uh, I, I saw him at the show, and when he went to the show, he, uh, he, he told me that, I, you know, here, I'm going to do a guffaw when I start scoring in the mid-90s, <laughs> 80s. And so uh, he was okay with that. And uh, actually, just a, about a month ago, I, I met him again in, in resorts uh, with Howie Mandel. He did a show. And then so we had a good chance to talk because you know, he's gone through a lot of things, same, similar things that I have. He's had two ablations. And, uh, you know, he, he still needs to, you know, be careful of uh, the blood thinners and everything else that he has going on. You also mentioned that you were involved in, and to us you mentioned that you were involved in another charity called Victory. Uh, yeah, Victory is an athlete uh, group out of Canada. And a, a lot of the top athletes are, are there. And so what I'm going to cr- cr- do is uh, 
create is uh, another uh, dinner when I have a bunch of athletes uh, in in town uh, for a dinner and uh, just just to, to get to know everybody and from there that you if they want to decide that they want to be a member they they can uh, so I'm, I'm thinking of May 24th 25th where I can do the dinner with Vac victory and uh, we can do a good job with that. But, you know, this is, this is how I can help a lot of people. I, I do a lot on, on so, social media, and I post a lot of pictures, and I'm, I'm at a lot of different events. But it really helps all the charities that I've been uh, furniture future to, to, to win. So, so <clears throat> it seems that you're involved in, even post your, your hockey career, post being a player, you're very involved in the community. Uh, do you do you speak to current athletes or kids that are becoming athletes about their role not just on the ice or on a field but also their the value of giving back to their community the way that you do? Well, I think most of the hockey players uh, grow up that way, where they they understand what they need to do, and they all have uh, pre 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 PR guys. <coughs> Excuse me, PR guys that can help them too. But yeah, and a lot of these. Uh, uh, Hockey players have their own charities, so uh, you know the, the you know it, it makes sense for them to understand what they can do, and they give back uh, by uh, helping out and uh, and meeting the right right people. Um, one of the things that uh, I did years ago was be members of a, a chamber of commerce, and the flyers were often also members, and they always came out to the different uh, functions that we had. Uh, they were always in, in a jacket and tie and. And they were always involved. Was that uh, Mr. Snyder? That uh, Ed Snyder was he uh, uh, a big part of that? Oh, definitely, because he uh, made sure that we were all there, and he, he you know, <clears throat> he uh, made sure that everybody was there at a couple different events. So we did a couple uh, fan uh, fan dinners at where a lot of the alumni sh uh, or players showed up, and so that made made it good for the people that were there. Also, the, the uh, Barry Ashby, they used to have a fund, uh, was it leukemia, I think it was. Yes. Uh, do they still have that? Do they still do that? Uh, no, I think it's passed now. I mean, uh, they used to, but uh, now it's more the Flyers uh, Carnival that, uh, you know, that I've been there for like 30 years and uh, helping out. And uh, so a lot of these guys are giving it here, too. So, so <coughs> in, in, with regard to the two charities that you've mentioned here today, how can people get involved? We're going to put the information up on our website so people can go there if they want to. But if people want to find out more about these charities, uh, where can they find that out? Well, I would say that if, if people want to go to my uh, brianprop.com website, I have a lot of information. And I, you know, I ask people if, they, if, if they're interested in... Uh, going to an, an appearance uh, that they could uh, email me and, and get in contact with me. And, 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 you know, I, and I have an agent that I use, too, also, that it helps. Okay. I, do ha I do have one question, though, because it was brought up by, by Jeff. Uh, the, the, the phrase of Mr. Snyder, is, do, did even the players refer to him as Mr. Snyder, or, or did people like you actually call him behind the scenes, call him Ed? No, always Mr. Snow, Snowder. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. We <clears throat> truly appreciate you coming in to talk with us today. We would love to get more information about some of the events you're involved in, and hopefully you'll come back and join us again. Thanks, Jason. Thanks That's so much. It. Thank Thanks you so much. much. You're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. It's time to, for us to take a break. When we return, we'll talk with Bill Giles about the Phillies. Stay right here.
Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. I'm Jeff Rutberg with Jason Springer, Ryan Strauss, and Jeffrey Cohen. Uh, and, and on the phone right now, we have our special guest. It's Bill Giles, former longtime owner of the Philadelphia Phillies and an honorary president of the National League. Uh, Bill, thanks for coming. I'm happy to be here. Uh, <clears throat> I just played pretty good golf, so I'm happy. <laughs> we we just talked about the, the we'll be talking about the golf in our next segment, talking about the Masters a little bit. So we'll make sure to do, get a little golf talk in for you. Hope you had a good game out there. Um, so so Bill, uh, we wanted to start with a, a little current Phillies discussion. Um, you you go to spring training every year, right? Correct. And uh, were you able to get down there this year? I was ill, and I only saw the last two weeks. Okay, so from from what from what you did see while you were down there, uh, what what did you like about what you saw about the team? What I liked by far the most was the depth of good young players we have. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't show it very well this weekend, but or the week, I mean. Um, but I think we're in good shape for the next ten years uh, after we get through this year of experiments. Um, you know, to to be legitimate contenders. You you mentioned um, the the amount of depth that the team has. Are you are you a guy that f- still follows the minor leagues? Every morning, every morning, the first thing I do when I get up is read the reports. It's not only the box scores, but they give you a summary of what each player did, whether he did good things or bad things, and. Uh, uh, I live for that moment when I read all those reports. Now, I, I remember years ago, uh, when the, the first time that I went to spring training down in Clearwater, you had mentioned to me to, to travel over to the backfields behind the, the main stadium to check that out. And I remember how exciting it was, especially for my son and I, to go back there and see the younger players. Um, when you go to the backfields the last couple of years, who were who the guys that you look at? And say these guys could be the fit the next face of the Phillies. 
Well, you know, the player development people tell me, keep your eye on this guy, keep your eye on that guy. And uh, so this year, I'm, I'm a big fan of Roman Quinn, and I watched him some, and Alfaro, the catcher, and Nick Williams, and Cousins, and uh, Hoskins, and a guy named Andrew Pullen, who you've never heard much about. He's an outfielder playing with Redding. And uh, we have some, in Moniac, the kid we signed a couple of years ago, number one. He got off to a good start. Yeah, he did. He went 0 for 7 the other day, but... Oh. Everybody tells me he's going to be a good player, so I'm I'm excited about the future. I'm not too excited about what happened against the Mets, but well, you you mentioned that. So so of all the teams that the Phillies play, which one bothers you the most when they lose? I I, I think I know the answer to that, but uh... well, we we really played good baseball against Washington, um, and we didn't make mistakes we had a lot of good things like a delayed steal and all those little things you do and then uh, the first Mets game is a game that we should have won and we made a few mistakes those are the games that hurt more than getting clobbered like we did in the second game and uh, you know it's a it's a progress and you got to be a little worried about our pitching I, I think eventually uh, our hitting will come around but you know, Velasquez has the great arm and strikes people out, but uh, he has a hard time winning games. So, my, my, and, Buckle, and, and Buckholtz being hurt uh, may be a little bit of a blessing because we're, we're going to bring up probably Zach Eflin or one of the kids that's pitching well. Now, now my theory is, tell me what you think, my theory is is that uh, Velasquez will ultimately end up in the bullpen with that arm, that he seems to get through that first, uh, the first time around the lineup really well, but then after that, uh, he seems to struggle, and he throws a ton of pitches. Yeah, I mean, even when he's getting people out, he's only a four or five, maybe six-inning pitcher because he strikes out so many people. What's What has surprised you so far throughout the spring and, and into the early start of the season? Well, I've been... Uh, a little disappointed in a couple of our hitters. Uh, Saunders and uh, Rupp haven't done much. And, uh, you know, the first four guys in the lineup have been doing okay, but uh, Rupp is not hitting as well as last year, and uh, Saunders had a couple of good days. But I'm worried about the five, six, seven uh, holes uh, as far as driving in runs is concerned. What do you think of Brock Stassi's story? That's uh, our co-host here, Jeff, his son's favorite player because they go to a lot of minor league games. What do you think about coming, him coming up to the majors, getting his number, and hitting a homer to start his career? Well, it's a good story. It, Brock has played a lot of games in the minor leagues. and Brock was my golf partner last spring, and I got to like him as a person. So I, uh, I really root for him, and he's a good kid. He's got... He's got great defensive abilities, and he's got some power. How'd the two of you do in that golf tournament? We didn't do well. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking about uh, the the division alignments in baseball, I know that that's changed the amount of times the Phillies have played teams like the Cubs or the Cardinals. Moving forward in the next 10 or however many years, um, do you have any opinion around how the National League should align the teams and – um, whether or not there might be expansion? 
Well, I've been very involved over the years in schedule making and alignments and everything. I kind of created the ones there now. And, uh, you know, you have the big debate about playing an unbalanced schedule where you <clears throat> play teams in your own division <clears throat> more times than you do the Cubs and Cardinals and so forth. And uh, I've always believed in that. I, I thought it really helped your attendance, uh, particularly in September, when you're competing against the teams you're trying to beat out for your division championship. So I still believe in it, although this year it looks like uh, the Mets in, in Washington are stronger than the rest of the teams, although Florida might you know, sneak in there. It sounds like you feel pretty good about the Phillies farm team, farm system. What do you think of the job that McPhail and Klintek have done with the team? I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Andy. Uh, I've known Andy for many, many years, and his father and my father were good friends. Um, I think they're going to do a fine job. They, they do have a plan, and they show me and the other owners uh, what the plan is, and. We're going to suffer a little bit this year, but beginning in 2018 and for 10 or 12 years, we should have a competitive team. Um, but you never know about young prospects. I mean, a lot of them really come on and some of them don't. I wanted to ask you about your involvement. Uh, you, you come from a baseball family, and so how did, how did you get involved in baseball from the beginning? Uh, well, first, first of all, I, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player, and <clears throat> when I got cut from my high school team, it kind of gave me a signal that I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> so I started working in the front office and doing all the odd jobs there were. I worked with the Cincinnati Reds for a while when I was going to school, and then uh, I worked in the minor leagues for one year in Nashville, Tennessee, and then I started out in Houston, Texas, when they first got a franchise. And uh, <coughs> uh, you were the traveling secretary and publicity director, right? And they're on inaugural yeah. season. Yeah, I did both jobs uh, for the whole season. Who was who was the manager <laughs> of the those Colt Forty Fives? Grady Hatton and Harry Kraft. Okay, and and, and so. How did you end up coming, going from the Houston Colt 45s to ending up in Philadelphia? Well, in 1965, the Colt 45s changed their name to the Astros because of the Astrodome being built and the fact that uh, all the uh, astronauts were in Houston. <coughs> but then in 19, after the 69 season, uh, Mr. Carpenter, who owned the Phillies, was moving into Veterans Stadium, and I had built a reputation as a good marketing man, and they hired me to be basically their marketing guy, and I was in charge of all the promotions and ticket sales and <clears throat> in charge of everything but the players. Did you come? Paul Owens and I worked together as a kind of a tandem. I did the business and he did the players and we started to get successful in 76 and so forth for about 10 years. When did you and when did you start with the Phillies? My first season was 1970. 
So right before Veterans Stadium opened. That is correct. The reason they brought me in is because they were building the vet. What was it and like? They had, they had had a pretty stodgy uh, marketing plan, and uh, and I did a lot of nutty things to, to get people interested. Like what? Give us a couple examples of some of the, the crazy things that you did. Well, they, they had never had good crowds for opening day, and I grew up in Cincinnati where they always sold out. And they in Philadelphia they had fourteen, fifteen thousand people and I said, What do you guys do for opening day? And they told me they had a Salvation Army band play the anthem and I said, Oh, we gotta do something exciting. So I had the first ball dropped in from a helicopter and it got a lot of T V attention. Kite and Kite Man, the, right? Remember that Kite Man? The, was that you? Second year. Oh, it's the great kite man. <laughs> <laughs> so you were a marketer when you were brought in. You were there to to promote the team and, and try and build the, the franchise that at that time didn't have the, the crowds that they were looking for? Yeah, they they only had uh, 500,000 people for the season the year before I arrived. And, and by, by the time I was in my swing, we were drawing 3 million. So that was a big difference. What was it like moving out of Scheib Park for the Phillies? Connie Mack Stadium, really. Yeah, well, Connie Mack Stadium was a good park once you're in the park and and seated, but it was a little dangerous uh, parking your car, and it was kind of falling apart, basically. Yeah, yeah, where, where kids would ask you to ask the, to watch your car for a quarter, mister. If you didn't give them the quarter, or later it was a dollar, uh, you, you, there were problems. So, uh, go ahead. So, so uh, Bill, as, as part of your, the marketing part of your, uh, your role, did you have anything to do with uh, bringing in Harry Callis? I did. And, and so, so I, how did that I, happen? I was the one that brought him in. Well... Uh, I brought him in the second year I was there because we changed beer sponsors and uh, Bill Campbell had been on the air with Buy Som and Valentine Beer <coughs> was the sponsor. <coughs> Excuse my cough. There's a lot of pollen out here. Um, and Schmidt's Beer became the big sponsor and they said, well, we'll give you a million a year, but we don't want Bill Campbell because he's connected with Ballantyne. <clears throat> so I knew a guy in Houston who I worked with. Uh, he was the broadcaster color man in Houston. And I thought he was terrific. And so I said, okay. And then I fired Campbell and hired Harry Callis. And Callis and Ashburn became, <clears throat> in time, I think the greatest duo I've ever heard on television. Uh, I think a lot of people in this town would agree. And, uh, you know, going to the stadium now, you still see uh, Harry Callis' statue. I, I know if you went to opening day, you got to hear Kane Callis uh, do the national anthem. Um, now, as, as part of, I mean, you, you've been part of a very long history of, of the Phillies, and part of that Phillies was uh, working with Dallas Green and, and Ruben R. Morrow Sr., who unfortunately passed away this year. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your your fondest memories of both of these uh, great Phillies? 
Well, they're, they're two different kind of styles of personality. <coughs> Reuben was a very sweet, gentle man. <coughs> Dallas Green was kind of the opposite. He was a tough hombre. And, uh, you know, his physical presence, his voice and everything, he was a tough cookie. And uh, in <coughs> 1979, we had Danny Ozark as our manager, and <coughs> a lot of the good players got hurt, but we kind of didn't do as well as everybody thought because we'd brought in Pete Rose. <coughs> so I recommended to uh, really Carpenter and Bob that uh, they put Dallas Green in there because Dallas Green was a tough guy and uh, he would make the players play up to their ability. And he did a super job in 1980 and was, um, you know, he, he was a tough cookie. He would tell them when they made mistakes and he was, but he kept pushing and pushing, and we ended up winning the first World Series ever. So, why? What? What made you? He has, think, he has to be given a lot of credit for what we did. What? What made you think of 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 Dallas Green as the answer to to the ills of '79? Well, when I was making my way as uh, director of business and you know vice president and all that stuff, I hung out with Dallas and uh, Paul Owens and. Hugh Alexander, and Dallas really had Philly blood in him. He, he, he loved the Phillies. He was a pitcher originally with the Phillies way back, and uh, he wanted to, everybody to do it the Phillies' way, and he wanted to have the game played properly by the players, and, um, and he wanted them to play as a team, not as an individual, and all that philosophy really worked. Certainly did. I, I remember Dallas Green when he played for the Phillies, briefly. He he wasn't very good as a player, but <laughs> no, he, he was he, he, he was a middle reliever and <clears throat> not particularly uh, successful. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, if you had to, if a story that maybe people didn't know or a funny story about Dallas Green, uh, do you have one of those? Um. Well, I really, I really don't. I've, um, <laughs> You're not able to tell any of them on the radio. Probably. He, he was, he was always very serious and and very tough. I mean, the 1980 team was kind of a funny team because the players really didn't like the manager. They, they didn't <laughs> like Dallas because he was so tough, um, and the infielders didn't like the pitchers, and the pitchers didn't like the infielders. It was a kind of a mess, but we won. <laughs> did Did Larry Boa get along with Dallas? Uh, Larry Boa is one of my favorite guys. He, you know, when you look at the records of uh, shortstops in the Hall of Fame, and you take a look at Larry Boa's record and compare it to P.V. Reese and Phil Rizzuto, Larry Boa had a much much better record, both offensively and defensively. When I when I first saw Bowie, it, excuse me, I didn't think he would ever hit, and he got to over 2,500 hits in his career. Boa, I hired him and fired him. I traded him uh, along with Ryan Sandberg for Yvonne de Jesus. Oh, um, we weren't going to bring that, that up. Terrible, terrible <laughs> some, some fans oh. weren't. Some fans weren't a fan and, of that. Trade. And 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 Ryan Sandberg went on the Hall of Fame, so that shows you how. S- <laughs> it's it's really a dice game, and you really, really don't know. It's prospects. 
It's assets. So, 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 well, so Bill, a lot of a lot of good prospects uh, we've traded turned out fairly well. But on the other side of the coin, we picked up a few prospects that <coughs> the other club didn't really think too highly of, and yeah, they turned out well. Yeah, especially over the last uh, couple decades, you've done really well there. Um, yeah. You know, Bill, uh, I wanted to, to just before you go, uh, just spend a couple minutes. I've been lucky enough to see you not just as a, a Phillies um, management and, and a pioneer in that area. You've been involved as a community leader and a pioneer in Philadelphia uh, with regard to some charitable work. Um, w- the one that I'm familiar with is a group called Cade Kids. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Cade Kids? And, and what the history of that was, how how you formed that, and what your thinking was. Well, I was always when I was running the ship, I was always a great believer in the organization and the players in particular, <clears throat> giving back to the community. And we had a wives function, a wives organization that started to have terrible uh, fashion shows and things. <clears throat> and I met. A lady named Malverna Charleston, way back in the late 70s. And uh, she said, you know, the Phillies should really have ALS as their charity because the great Lou Gehrig died of ALS. And uh, that made sense to me. So we became the official sponsor, or ALS became the official sponsor of us. And we worked together. There's a lady named Ellen Phillips that's just sensational. And she and my wife and many others worked together. We've now raised $17 million for ALS. But in addition to ALS, my favorite charity that we work on is an organization called Kate Kids. And uh, that started, I don't know, 30 years ago or so when the police chief at the time, Mr. Tucker, came to me and told me about the program and I said this is something we gotta gotta do something about so we raised some money and the Sixers and Flyers and Eagles chipped in and uh, it's a going it's really the best program I think in the country but the problem is we haven't gotten enough money to get as many specialists we have specialists that goes into that go into the worst schools in Philadelphia the police department tells us where the kids are really need help and we teach about living a good life no, you know no alcohol no tobacco uh, no fighting uh, going to school every day good attendance <coughs> listening to your teacher and all that stuff and it really works we have statistics that show that kids that go through the Cade Kids program get better grades, they graduate they from class to class, from second to third, from fourth to fifth, etc. And it works. And uh, I've been trying for years, and Jeff used to be on the board, to get more money so we can get more specialists to teach more kids and to expand it across the country. Yeah. We will and make hopefully someday that'll happen. Well, we will make sure to keep spreading the word here on the show, and we truly appreciate you joining us this week to have a conversation. Thank you so much well, for well, your I, time. 
I apologize for my voice. No yeah. worries at all. Thank you so much for your time, Bill. Thanks Thank you so much. Bill. Bye-bye. And you're listening to the Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. It's time to, for us to take a break. And when we return, we'll talk about Philly sports. Stay right with us. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Great to be back with you on the Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. I'm Jeff Rutberg, along with Jason Springer, Ryan Strauss, and Jeffrey Cohen. Guys, last week we had a golf pro in here and we talked Masters. It did not disappoint me at all. Jeffrey Cohen, I know you were glued to the TV. I was excited to watch it. It, it, was, it was an absolutely incredible finish. It, it wasn't from, from beginning to end wasn't a great tournament, but... You couldn't ask for anything more than the two guys in the final group coming down to the last six holes and just battling each other. And then on top of it, these guys have been friends for 20 years. They were encouraging, I mean, not encouraging each other, but giving each other high fives when they did something right. The wives uh, were also speaking and, yeah. and hugging during it. it. It was a really good example of sportsmanship like we talk about on the show. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was. And, you know, there are some people that will sit there and say, no, that's, you know, Tiger Woods. You know, he wouldn't talk to anybody as he as he came down to the finish. And that's the way you should be in, comp- in, in competition. These guys were just as competitive as that and still were able to, to come. And, and 18 holes on the last day wasn't enough. No, they kept going, uh, went into extra holes. Jeff, Ryan, did you guys watch the tournament? No, I didn't, but I do want to ask a question. How do you know, unless you really watched carefully, that nobody moved the ball an inch away from where it should have been (laughs) when they put the mark down? It's the whole honor code of golf, though. and, And that came up the last day. There actually was a point at which Sergio was in the pine needles. I think it was Sergio. Was it one of them was in the pine needles, and they actually went had to go to a replay. And every, I guarantee you, millions of people are watching that, going, "Oh my God, here we go again." Yeah. And, and it it's got to stop. It's as simple as you are playing with somebody else. That other person has a caddy. 
There are people walking around the course that are officials all the time. If they don't see it, enough. And then Let it, it go. And isn't done. Yeah. If, if it's not seen, then it, is, it didn't happen. Right. Ryan, did you get some time to catch the Masters at all? I saw a little bit. I always think that watching a major in the last day is by far when golf is the most exciting. I mean, I'm sure the other tournaments on Sunday are also nearly as exciting, but with the major and the green jack and all the tradition, it, it's really entertaining to watch. It's it, kind, it isn't really it kind of, kind of like a basketball game in the last two minutes? It, it is. It's, it the, is. it's the time that you want to be watching, uh, the emotion that's on the course. The, the, the course looks spectacular just from a visual on television. It just looks amazing to be able to play on it. And then we saw a hole in one, Jeff. That was, a, that was another amazing moment because Matt Kuchar, who is an American golfer, has been around for a long time. He, when he was coming up when he was a young guy, he was supposed to be one of the next Tiger Woods types player, type players. And it really never turned out that way. He's had a really good career, but he's always been an ambassador for the game. And, and he showed it in a way that nobody should ever expect a professional athlete to do this. But what he did was he hit a hole in one at the Masters. Mm. Anybody who's ever played golf, the thought of playing at the Masters, let alone getting a hole-in-one at the Masters, and he walks over to the, the, the cup, picks his ball out of the hole, and immediately grabs a pen, signs the ball, and hands it over to a kid. That's what, you, that, that's what yeah. you want to see out of your athletes in sports. Anything else surprise you from the four days at the Masters that you well, didn't expect? Well, the, the fact that a, a lot of the better players just kind of fell out of contention. I mean, Ricky, Ricky Fowler is probably the most popular golfer among the, the 20 and younger set with the flat-brimmed hat and the, and the, the bright clothes. He, he was in contention. He was in the second-to-last group and just kind of fell away. And it, I think it would have made it even more exciting if somebody like Fowler, because he's never won a major, and it would have been interesting to see him win a major. But it was nice to see Sergio. Sergio is, I think, the third most uh, majors played without winning one. So it was pretty cool to see a guy who's played over 70 majors finally win one. See, with, with golf, watching golf, I'll, I'll do it every once in a while, but I'd rather play. So I'll either be on a, a miniature golf course with my my daughter or i'll go uh chip and putting that's, and once in a that's while just like augusta yeah <laughs> just just as a side like, that's right it's just as hard right yeah but it's fun golf can be fun but i i find it more enjoyable to play it uh, rather than watch it on television yeah but i think you you learn to appreciate it if, if the more you play golf and you realize the nuances of it and how hard it is yes to to i mean you'll have four shots to get a ball in a hole that's 400 yards away, and you could knock it on the green within two, and and you're only a couple feet away, and then it takes you three more shots to get it in, and you don't even get a point. See, I find it less frustrating when I'm not the one flubbing the shots and I'm <laughs> watching on TV. So as much fun as it is for me to play, I feel no pressure when I'm on my couch watching them flub their shots. You mentioned mini golf, Jeff, and I'm a huge mini golf fan. I, for one, would watch professional mini golf it's a, if it was a thing. So maybe uh, that's Jeff's, a new idea for your for yeah. your entrepreneurial it, side. There you be, go, Jeff. Forget the soccer. Now move on to miniature professional mini golf. Professional Okay, with men and women playing together. There yeah, you go. Boys there you and go. Girls. Yeah. Another thing I've noticed with the Masters, though, it seems like Masters pools are becoming more and more of a thing. Was that like a popular thing to do um, more than five years ago, or has it just grown in popularity because of March Madness and we all like to have fun? I would think that there's just an increase 
in every level of uh, wagering um, and and following the sports and trying to figure out what your angle is to be interested. It's definitely increased in popularity. Yeah, I don't remember it even 10 years ago, but now they even have fantasy golf. I mean, if there's a way for them to, to make money and for people to gamble, they'll find a way to That'll do it. That'll drive Jeff nuts. Well, let's, mm-hmm. speaking of... Uh, Fantasy, uh, we talked but previously on the show about fantasy football, but we've got the real thing coming to Philadelphia. We've got the draft coming here in a few weeks. They're already constructing the set along the parkway. Uh, I know that... Yeah, I'm sure the people who go to the art museum must be thrilled. I uh, Yeah, they're probably not as excited about the draft as everybody else is. Jeff, are you reading your brochures of college football players that we can select in the seventh round no i'm just looking at all the mock drafts on the uh, on the internet so are you liking what the mock drafts say i always enjoy analyzing things that aren't real so <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's analyze a mock draft that's that's why you like fantasy sports so exactly much. it see it makes it easier for me so uh, are you what are you seeing from the mock drafts running back what, what do you think it seems like mccaffrey is, seems to be the one that people are picking uh, Governor Rendell, former Governor Rendell, uh, and former mayor of Philadelphia, Ed Rendell, was picking uh, McCaffrey because he's a wide receiver and a running back. Um, really, I, I, the Eagles have so many needs. I think an offensive player in the first round at, at 14, and then I think cornerbacks uh, in rounds two and three. I'm going to ask you guys a question. If the draft wasn't in Philadelphia, would they trade the 14th pick? No. I don't think that had a say in it. I think that they just had a unique circumstance last year with Bradford and Minnesota wanting to make a a push to get him. So I think it was just more coincidence. I'm interested to see what they do with the 14th pick, whether they go in the running back direction. Everybody says it's a deep running back and deep cornerback draft. Do you go with defensive line? They've signed some players. Defense. Uh, if, If I were the Eagles, I'd go defensive back or I'd go defensive line. There's definitely a lot of needs, and they're not always all going to be filled in the draft. Uh, Jeff, what's your feeling right now as we go into the draft with the offseason so far with what they've done? They were they replaced uh, Benny Logan with Jernigan. Um, they they signed Long to to come off the end to uh, replace Connor Barwin. They've got some wide receivers, so now they're one and two, or basically they're three and four from last year. Or do you feel more comfortable about where the Eagles are? going into the draft than you did when the season ended. Yes, very much. I think they did a good job in the offseason signing these players. I didn't think they had any money to, to do any of this, but they found some money somehow. And, I still don't know how they're going to pay for everybody. Know. Ryan, what are your thoughts going into the draft? Yeah, I'm more of a defensive um, first part, sort of, if I was the GM. But I think Dalvin Cook is also a really good option from Florida State. However, it just seems that given our – lack of defense the last few years that's where the needs are so I would hope that they would cater towards that in the first few rounds but in terms of the draft being in Philly I noticed that they're going to take like a full week to demolish um, like take down the setup from the draft in the parkway and they're expecting like 200,000 plus people but again I just don't think the draft is that uh, worthy of making into an event uh, where you have 200,000 people standing in the parkway waiting around for draft picks. Like, I just don't right. see how that's going to end well. Well, I can't see, Je- <laughs> I can't see Jeff Ruppert going out and standing out there. No, I, I, uh, well, it'll you know, be when, warmer. When it, well, yeah, but when I'm at the 
Eagles games at Lincoln Financial Field. I can walk around the stadium. There's all sorts of things to do. You can walk There's around the, the parkway. There's going to be plenty well, of stuff to I see. Still, I still live down there. And really, there isn't too much there. You can go to the museum. Oh, yeah, it's right. right behind the stage. <laughs> It'll be off limits. I understand people's complaints about it disrupting lives. I, I don't think it's ever bad to shine a spotlight on the city for national attention. And I, and I, so. I used to live there. I used to live at 17th in the Parkway. So you wouldn't and be very happy right I, I would now. Be, no, actually, I would be. I didn't have the car back then. <laughs> And, and you could walk everywhere, and I didn't have arthritis in my left knee, so I wasn't limping around. And it was great back then. I loved living down there. Yeah, you could sit by your window and watch the draft back I, then. That's right, with binoculars. Mm-hmm. When, the, when the Pope came, well, I had, I had fir- first-row seats. Well, may, may, maybe in order to annoy everyone, they'll trade down so that they can get more assets, so that, oh, no. that, that, that they, too, they <laughs> no, too no, can no, follow the no. process. Okay, Jeff said the magic word. He said assets. So it's time to talk Sixers. Their season mercifully ended... Uh, they lost, thankfully, their last game to New York by oh, yeah. one point. Oh, my God, if they would have won, and it cost us a draft pick spot. So the Sixers finished with the fourth-worst record. The Lakers finished with the third-worst record. Guys, uh, I know that some of us had different hopes for the season. Jeff Rutberg, what are your thoughts right now? I, I, it's an improvement, a, much, a, a, a big improvement. We didn't have to worry that they would set another record for futility. Um, we saw some really good games, Embiid and uh, Saric, and and, uh, and and the hope is for uh, Simmons. To I come hear back. trust for the process. Wait, wait Jeff. did you did you oh. hear what you just said? What's that? So, so you so you just said that they they didn't set a record. So we've now lowered the bar so much <laughs> that the Sixers. A good season is not setting a record for the worst season. Yeah, that's right. Now, to be, that, that, to be that's clear, the process. Jeff Cohen is a little salty because he went and saw a game last week and it was not good basketball. It was correct? absolutely dreadful. They played the Bucks, um, and the, people were yelling at Brett Brown <laughs> to take Poitras out, <laughs> which when they would take him out, they'd put in somebody that was worse than him. And then they'd yell for him to go out. And, and you just got to wonder... I understand, you know, and Ryan's talked about how they've they drafted these guys with their potential knowing of their injuries. But if you draft so many guys that are injured, that then this is what you get stuck with is that their their idea of being healthy is when the season's over, like Ben's like the Sixers just announced yesterday, that guess what? Ben Simmons is finally healthy. He's well, ready for the offseason. What does that do for all the people that paid for tickets He's healthy for the offseason, Jeff. Let's look on the bright side here. Uh, two minutes left in the show. Let's go to the Phillies real fast. They put up 17 runs. Uh, I didn't think that I would see that from the Phillies. <laughs> they also gave up almost 17 home runs to the Mets in the last couple of games. They have given up so many home runs to the Mets in the last couple of years. It's astounding. Early thoughts of the season on the Phillies. I was wrong about the bullpen. Okay. <laughs> As evidenced by the fact that they've now replaced their closer, and I still think it, the ultimate closer will end up being Velasquez. Uh, well, I like uh, Brock Stassi is getting some hits. He had a home run. And he had a home run, uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, the bullpen, uh, Adam Morgan is already sent down, I think. Yep, bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Yep. Yep. Uh, too bad. Yeah, I think Neshek and Benoit really help a lot in the bullpen, and I just want to see the team play with a lot of heart. Um you know, the Mets coming to town and just winning 14 in the last 16 series here. I mean, uh, hopefully the Phillies can just turn around and play hard every day. Neshek's pitch makes my arm hurt. 
the angle and motion <laughs> that he throws at. The offense has been better than I thought they would be so far. Uh, I'm not sure if they'll be able to keep that up, but uh, it's been something that surprised me to start the season. Uh, the, the pitching is what we thought it was, I guess. Well, uh, but Buckles so out now yep. with the, the tear in his arm. That's never a good thing. Does it mean a younger arm comes up sooner from down on yeah. the farm? I, I hope it's one of these young guys like Pavetta. Pavetta's only, I think, 22 years old. They got him from the Nationals in a trade a couple of years ago. He's pretty good, and he played on the Canadian team, so he's gotten some experience against some better players during the World Baseball Classic. That's going to be Jeff Cohen's last word. Jeff Rutberg, anything? I'd like to see the Phillies uh, continue to do well, and and uh, and I'll, I'll get the we'll off to all get there and, and watch. We'll get down to a game. Ryan Strauss can't wait for the NBA draft lottery in almost a month, and the Sixers are pretty primed to get uh, two of the top five picks. They're more primed. Assets. They're primed to get more assets. Thank you for joining us this week on the Heart of Sports. Make sure to join us at our new time and day next Saturday at one p.m. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we look forward to talking with you next week. Bye-bye.